Today on YOY, I feel strange about having a boyfriend. This is what emotions feel like when you're trying to do the right thing as a feminist and still have a heterosexual relationship. My single friends are worried I disapprove of them now. I need to make sure that I'm not totally screwing up and the disapproving tone I'm getting from non-single Andrea is telling me maybe I am. And my family's always asking about him. What does he do for a living? When am I going to bring him around again? No, that's not pressure. Pressure is, when are you getting married, girl? And my friend, Hollywood, brings it all together. We're conditioned to approach relationships from the way your, your, your family is and the way that a lot of American families do, which is to say women don't have value until they're assigned value by the commitment of a man. I think we live in secret fear of that being true. And like, am I worthless until some man puts a ring on it? I don't think so. I didn't go to college, grad school, and you know, read all those books to not have any value. Today on YOY, I complain about having a very nice person in my life. It's not his fault. I'm upset because people have perceived me differently since having a boyfriend. My heart is beating. This is YOY. I'm Andrea Salenzi, back with another special episode of YOY, not live, pre-recorded. This took me hours. You have no idea. Last week on the show, I shared news that my grandma Phyllis was in the hospital. I'm here to tell you that she is doing much better now, with a few exceptions. Today's not really a good day. I seem to be having some diarrhea. So otherwise, you wouldn't have caught me home tonight. I was supposed to have been at a movie, but... One doesn't want to be in a movie when one is not feeling quite up to stuff. Uh, Well, I officially have congestive heart failure. That entitles me to say I have a condition with quotes around condition, which suddenly enables me to get services from the Visiting Nurse Association and... uh, physical therapist, and I'm being electronically monitored uh, every day. Uh, my weight and my blood pressure get transmitted to somebody named Larry, who's manning some kind of electronic something someplace. Larry's the best. As dire as all that might sound, Grandma is actually feeling pretty well, and she's up to her usual stuff. I was over there the other night, and she had friends getting a massage in her bedroom. She had a new grandchild that she just adopted, a very nice recent Oberlin grad. She just is up to her usual stuff. But she said that one night in the hospital, this would have been um, two Saturdays ago, she had a moment where she felt incredible clarity and acceptance when it came to her death. I guess physically, they must, a lot of the fluid or some of the fluid was already receding from the lungs and the heart was pounding less. And I knew I would live. It wasn't a decision. 
I, I, I don't know if that makes any sense, but it was just a knowledge both ways and an acceptance. So now that you've been given this, this gift, this other chance, what do you want to do still? What do I want to do? I have some long-range goals, and I have some short-range goals. I'd like to go to that wedding next year in Singapore. I know that sounds silly, but I would like to be well enough to go to that. Other than sort of watching what's happening with my family and watching what's happening with you, hoping perhaps one day I might see a great-grandchild come from one of you, and at the rate you're all going, it'll probably be from little Paige, but uh, that's another My story. youngest cousin, so you're saying that you're my... <laughs> No, no, I, I, I am, I am putting no pressure on anybody. But that sounded like pressure. No, that's not pressure. Pressure is when are you getting married, girl? And no, that's pressure. I feel like you did give me some of that pressure, though. You know, when you were recovering from your procedure, you said that you want to live so you can dance at my wedding, and I couldn't help but feel a little pressure there. Well, sorry about that, sweetheart. Okay. And But every grandparent yeah. has that hope for their grandchildren. It's not just me doing it to you. But it would be very nice if in the future I had that opportunity. And then to to add on to that, when I when I went to see you um the first night I was home and you were home you said how happy you were that I had my new boyfriend in my life. And it just, and between those two, I feel a lot of pressure to make things work with him. I'm sorry that you put that on yourself. I'm not taking responsibility for that. Okay. <laughs> so That's stop fair. that. Okay. Well, okay. So here's a question for you is what, what are you happier about in my life? Is it me and this new boyfriend or me and this new job? Both. I am delighted that you are being professionally fulfilled. I am absolutely delighted by that. It, it's a, it's, a, it's a, a tough profession you've entered, and you're managing to do it apparently quite well, even though I don't quite get to listen to your program. This is because podcasts are notoriously hard to train your grandma to listen to, or really anyone, actually. By the way, this show is available as a podcast. Just go to the iTunes store, search for YOY. Am I happy that you have a boyfriend? Yeah, I think it's nice to be loved. It's nice to have professional satisfaction, but it's also nice to love and to be loved. Yeah. Would you be disappointed if we broke up at some point? Would it feel like by plan I'm not on track to you? They're not for me, honey. They're for you. I don't want you to do the wrong thing. I'd like whatever you feel will be the right thing. But sometimes I do think you over-intellectualize the whole damn thing. Nailed it. I do feel pressure. 
to call me from the hospital and talk about wanting to dance my wedding, before I've met a partner that I can see a future with, before I've decided that I want a wedding, before I've taken a clear stance on dancing at weddings. Most of what I think about these days are my creative and professional ambitions. What should my next sentence here be? Should I put a clip after this sentence? Pressure is, when are you getting married, girl? Did that clip work? I am not concerned about much beyond this, except for one thing. And this is dark. I'll give you that. My grandma is going to die someday. Lots of people's grandmas die. I know this is the case. But what is this whole radio experiment if it's not my way of reckoning with that reality? I'm going to let you in on something. One of my most profound motivations in life is that I want the last impression my grandma has of me to give her a positive insight to my future. I want her to be hopeful and satisfied that I'm going to be okay. And per my grandma's values, me being okay means me being married. So here's another example of the subtle pressure I feel. The day she got out of the hospital, I slept over. So she'd have someone there, she'd feel safe. And as she kissed me goodnight, she mentioned how happy she is that I met my boyfriend, Mike. He doesn't belong in that conversation. He doesn't belong in that moment between me and my grandma. As great as he is and as much as I like him, he's a guy who I've known for four months. He's a good friend. We have a lot of fun together. He's smart and interesting, and I care for him. But me and my grandma, that's a whole other relationship. And the things that belong in that moment should be, I'm happy that you are so healthy. I am happy that you have found work that engages you intellectually. He doesn't belong in that space. That is the moment between me and my grandma. And he is a guy who I've known for four months. Four months compared to my lifetime with her. The good news is, a guy named Larry is still checking her numbers every morning. Somebody named Larry, who's manning some kind of electronic something someplace. The other good news is that this concern for me, this hope for my future, it comes from a place of love and respect. And then it drifts to wedding plans. I would like to live long enough to meet somebody, like somebody, love somebody, and see you loved by somebody. You are such a wonderful girl, woman, pardon me. I, I want the best for you. Thank you. That means a lot. And I, I want to have the opportunity to go out and splurge and get a new dress. I don't have the opportunity or the need to go shopping. I, uh, all I have, as far as dressy clothes go, is the dress that I married Saul in. I like that dress. Well, I plan to get buried in it also. I love that dress. Maybe I can have it tailored and wear it again, but I would love to be able to go out shopping to a fancy shop and say, my granddaughter is getting married. Uh, you know, but what can I tell you? <laughs> I would like the But no pressure. That. Okay, got it. <laughs> You'd like to go shopping. Are but you no recording all this? <laughs> Just some of it. Oh, all right. Yeah. But what about my friends? I grabbed my friend Casey on the phone. 
this sounds stupid, but like, do you think of me any differently because I have a boyfriend now? I probably have like a moment of hesitation where I tell you something that I did when I was being single and an idiot and thinking, oh God, lady with a boyfriend's totally going to judge me. Really? um, No. Why not? Because you, you know, you gave me a hard time about being a little bit rambunctious recently. But But you've been really rambunctious. Well, I know I have. And single Andrea would have given you the same treatment. That's exactly true. But it feels different coming from non-single Andrea than it does from single Andrea. Like, non-single Andrea, I'm like, fuck, if I ever want to have my life together, I need to to make sure that I'm not totally screwing up. And the disapproving tone I'm getting from non-single Andrea is telling me maybe I am. See? And that's the idea for today's show. I want to explore the things that make having a boyfriend no big deal and kind of a big deal, from the way my family treats me to my friends, plus a greater lesson in how my value is determined in a dating context. To do it, we're going to have to go all the way back to Sense and Sensibility, to Jane Austen, with help from my friend Hollywood. We talked on Saturday night. I had a drink in my hand. She was kind of overmodulating. Please forgive the audio quality. It's going to seem random that we're starting where we're starting but it'll, it'll make sense in the end. Okay, here we go. I was watching Sense and Sensibility last night, which, as you know, is Kate Winslet's masterpiece. And, I, and I'm reading it, and the reason I was watching it was um, there is a sociologist who I can recommend to all your listeners. I think she's the smartest woman on earth. Her name is Eva Eluz. And she wrote a book in 2012 called Why Love Hurts. And in this book, she's talking about how modern courtship really, really differs from the Jane Austen era, like the 19th century uh, protocol for courtship. And back then, it was really, really, really important that you didn't lay out your cards and that you sort of, um, the woman in particular, were to be very seen as very reserved, emotionless almost, until it was guaranteed that the man was going to propose to her. How do you like your view, Mr. Ferris? Very much. Your stables are very handsome and beautifully kept, Mrs. Dashwood. And so all of what we know about flirting and um, coquettishness and that kind of kitty-like behavior, I hate using that word kitty-like, but you know, like that Mm -hmm. cute, aw, you like me, that's adorable kind of behavior. was really coming out at this period. And so I watched Sense and Sensibility and Marianne's whole problem in that movie, right, with Willoughby is that she she lays out her emotional interiority so obviously that people were telling her, she, like, you're going to get in trouble because you don't have a proposal yet. I should have been dull and spiritless and talked only of the weather or the state of the roads. No, but Mr. Willoughby can be in no doubt of your enthusiasm for him. Why should he doubt it? Why should I hide my regard? No particular reason, only that we know so little of him. The time alone does not determine intimacy. Seven years would be insufficient to make some people acquainted with each other, and seven days can be more than enough for others. Or seven hours, in this case. Like, he did not propose to you. Like, what are you doing letting everybody know what your feelings are towards him? You're get, Like, what happens if he doesn't propose to you? Hmm. And, and, you know, spoiler alert to a book that's been out now for 200 years, Willoughby does end up leaving her and proposing and marrying someone else. Willoughby. Willoughby. 
and she's devastated. Someone who played the game better. Yeah, or had 50,000 pounds a year, which, you know, (laughs) as a dowry in England, that was important. Let's not poo-poo the dowry, Andrea. You could always somehow come up with a dowry. That changed the game for me. I don't know about you. I'm still waiting on those cows to come. (laughs) Um, Maybe a goat, throw a goat in the mix. But, yeah, and so, like, their whole social protocol at the time was to never reveal their hand and to never say they cared about their partner or the guy that was pursuing them uh, until there was an obvious proposal made. And that was to protect her and him. And the difference between now and then, right, is that the absence of those protocols and the social ideology that supported them, um, now we, we entirely, all, all our romantic interaction is entirely hinged on self-evaluation. Like we're waiting for the other person to evaluate ourselves, either to see us for who we really are and accept us or to see us for who we really are and reject us. And it creates this like whole new kind of tyranny like the psychic tyranny that, um, you know, Elise says could never have happened in the 19th century. Your sense of self was not hinging on whether or not someone asked you to marry them. Your sense of self-worth was 90% pretty much constituted by the fact that your father owned land in the mid-country and that you were a member of this, like, elite class of people. Like, your social self and your identity were more objectively tied to your positionality in the, in the Georgian culture than what guys are paying attention to you. Hmm. Uh, and right now, like, this is the problem for women is that a lot of their self-worth entirely hinges on male attention, uh, especially committed male attention, right? I guess if I were to think about what's my modern equivalent to the my father owning land, it would probably be that I have a pretty great job right now. I don't have college debt right now. That's my modern dowry is that I have a really bright future ahead of me, but that feels so small when I'm just sitting trying to figure out how to relate to this guy who lets me call him boyfriend. I think that's a huge fear for me, too, is that my dating interactions and my romantic interactions thus far, I'm 28, have led me to believe that my career and most of the work that I've done as a human being on this planet is not valorized in the dating market. What is valorized because I'm a woman is not much I can work at besides maybe getting into fake physical performance. Yeah. It's our weight. It's our, um, our number of cute dresses. I know, especially for you and me, it's like number of cute dresses is very important. That's pretty much our dowry right there. Yeah. How good we are at, um, preparing meals how clean our apartment is so they can leave their apartment and have a clean space to do work in. How good we are at holding down liquor. <laughs> how many friends we have. How many interesting friends we have who would be desirable to spend time with. Oh, man. No, really, <laughs> none of those things matter. It's just our weight, right? <laughs> it's so easy for me to just focus on weight. Um, but no, it's... People poo-poo this all the time and when I tell them, but they don't realize what it's like to be a single woman on a date and have a guy's face just kind of get crestfallen, like someone sucked out all the joy when he asks you what you do and you say you're a PhD candidate at Harvard. <laughs> like, it's not, it doesn't, it does not erase my esteem in his eyes. It's like it becomes something he has to think about. Like, do I want to deal with that? Wow. 
That's the wrong guy for you. Well, they're all, they've all been the wrong guy, hence why I'm single. But the whole, you know, this I, the idea is that what I valorize in myself, like what I think is important, I've never had a guy ask me what the most interesting book I just read was. As someone who reads three books a week, like <laughs> reading is hugely important to my sense of self. It's a huge part of my social construction. And like I interact with other people who actually write books. I'm writing a book. I read books. Um, and it's just interesting. It's just not, it doesn't seem to be that important to a lot of the guys that I meet. Okay. So this, these values that you say, um, were concerned men have, I feel like those are the values that my family has for me more than anything. So, uh, I just got back from family vacation and on the trip, my brother brought his new girlfriend who is 21 years old. He's 28. She grew up in small town, Wisconsin. She's just the nicest girl in the world. She like works at the local movie theater and Mexican restaurant. She's working on her associate's degree. She's so beautiful. She just like looks like a model. Like there's, she has one of those like giant mouths and perfect teeth. She wears midriff like shirts and Ken. Like it's always, every day it's like another midriff shirt. But she's also very like down to earth and loves dogs. <laughs> and everyone loved her. Like everyone loved her. But these are the things I heard come out of her mouth. At one point she was like, look at the clouds. They're all in different shapes. Another point, she was like, the water's so turquoise. <laughs> like, these are things that she would say to begin a conversation. And I live in a world where I'm constantly striving for, for something deeper, more honest, more thoughtful. Like, and I didn't want to hate her, but she got all of my dad's attention. And it's really hard to be around that because... <laughs> Do you want to talk about your Oedipus problem? Yes. Do you your think it's a complex? Do you think that's it? I mean, literally, she came down the stairs on our way to dinner one night, and my dad said, "Someone in this family knows how to dress." And then I was like, Neh. "No, I, I I see what you're saying. I think what you're saying is completely, unbelievably indicative of this anxiety that we feel because." Who you are is this really intelligent, smart, funny person, and those are things that you've had to cultivate. They're, they're not things you were just born with. You had to cultivate a cultured sense of sensibility, right? You had to read heavy novels. You had to really put yourself through the rigor morale of going to school and um, putting your nose to the grindstone and being yelled at for not being aware of your white privilege. Uh, that's Those are earned. Those are earned... Uh, parts of yourself, right? Those those are the those are the parts of Andrea that you had to work for, and it's frustrating when the people you love, like your brother or your father, don't don't equate your your the things that make you you, that things that make you quintessentially you, as desirable in other people. I see this all the time. It's really frustrating. I mean, when you go on online dating sites and the guys are the guys who are in their 30s with PhDs looking for 22-year-old girls. Like, it's really frustrating. It, it's basically the equivalent of saying to a woman with any kind of experience whatsoever that, well, I'm glad you really worked hard and put yourself through law school or whatever, but, you know, that chick's hot. <laughs> like... 
that's what it's like. And that's, and we get that message over and over and over again, that the only thing of value is what we look like. Okay, so maybe that's the case with other guys, with my family, but it's not the case for my current boyfriend. But that idea didn't make me feel any safer. I still feel like there might be rules that I don't know how to follow for dating. Like one of those Jane Austen characters, do I show my hand with him? And how much? So how emotionally vulnerable do you think you should be with someone when you're dating them? Well, that's that's sort of why I was I was talking about the Jane Austen thing in comparison to this, is that they had an entirely socially accepted script where women never revealed emotional vulnerability until they got a ring on their finger, right? And I'm not even quite sure that they used rings, so, you know... that proverbial ring on their finger Um, and so you know they had that whole structure set up so you weren't supposed to reveal any of your emotional interiority and now now we're expected to only act on the basis of our emotions right like all our actions are supposedly justified being spontaneous emotional outbursts or something Uh, and, and the idea of having any kind of calculation in your emotion or your emotional expression is seen as um, antithetical to love, right? Hmm. Right. I mean, that's the idea, right? That if, if I'm playing it as a game, then it can't be love. If it's spontaneous and like I have no control over it, then that's what love is. And that's the overarching hegemonic idea of what love is. Now, to put that into what women actually experience is not the same, right? Like we have so much documented girl talk evidence from women and, you know, that we're always performing and calculating before commitment. Like we're always asking our friends, like, do you think that likes me? Do you think because so-and-so said that he likes me? Do you think because so-and-so says that he wants to be my boyfriend? Do you think because so-and-so said that because he like he wants to get married? Do you think because so-and-so says that? Like, there's constant interpretation of what men are saying as indications of faith and loyalty, like constantly between women. I feel like that's like what we talk about more than we talk about, does this make me look fat? Mm-hmm. Like, those are the two things we talk about. And and how do I how do I play this card I've been dealt in such a way that allows me to progress the relationship further on a towards the commitment right and that's exactly what you're talking about like do I send this text do I not send this text do I do I call him do I say I miss him like what do I do and it's just like this internal agony of trying to figure out what the best move is like what does your gut say to do I feel like when I when I disconnect like the brain filter from the gut, then things usually go pretty awry. So I think I'm I'm mostly driven by a sense of fear and trying to keep the status quo right now. Exactly. So all your actions are stemming from fear. <laughs> like that's awesome. That that's gonna be great for the relationship. But I, that's I mean, really not, how you how you get to know someone. Just be not, terrified that they'll ever get to know you. I'm not trying to make fun of you. It's just like, this is just so common and we, we don't talk about it. I mean, like we do talk about it, but in hushed tones, like, do you think, you know, it's something we'll talk about to a girlfriend or we'll, you know, but it's not something we'll really dissect at a societal level that most women are doing this, this kind of like calculated emotional, emotional performance. Right. Uh, and I think it's really interesting. And so Eva Luz is sort of suggesting that um, because 
our self-worth is so tied to our male relationships. You know, speaking of your father and your brother, <laughs> like uh, our, our sense of who we are and our worth in society hinges on their validation and recognition of us. And that puts us in a really precarious situation. Almost everything we do can result in rejection or be interpreted as rejection. And every rejection is a potential negation of the self. And that's really scary. You're right. Because once you actually get into a relationship with someone who you care about, it's suddenly, like if I were to go on a bad date, then it's, then it's, I can go back to our customary thing, which is, oh, he was crazy. And he was just so wrong for me. Or if like you're hooking up with someone and it doesn't make it to boyfriend turf, then you just say, oh, he was an asshole. And you stop right there. But if it's someone who you care for, who you want to keep in your life, if you're rejected by that person, then it's, I'm not good enough. Exactly. And it's especially because, you know, by being in a relationship, you've already revealed that you think this person's important. You already think his, his approval of you is very, very important, more so than most other guys. Otherwise, he wouldn't be your boyfriend. And so for him to reject you versus some sleaze that you met on OkCupid, it's just like, you know, it's devastating. You know, you've given so much interpersonal power to this guy over you that to be rejected by him is to face complete annihilation. So why did I want a boyfriend again? Why am I doing this? And I also had another question for Holly about having a boyfriend. Should I talk about him when he's not around? Okay, so the next thing I wanted to ask you about tonight was um, I feel like my bond with other women has changed since I got a boyfriend. Little claws here, it's only been like two weeks. But I had this moment where I was walking to the train with a new colleague, and we were talking about going to spin class together. You know, we were talking about how she went to law school. And I was like, blah, 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 my boyfriend's a lawyer. And then suddenly... I felt this distance that just suddenly ar- arose that I remember from when I was single, which is like there's this moment where if two women realize that they're both single, you just feel like so much closer and like you're in the same boat. And the moment one girl says, my boyfriend, you're like, oh, I can't connect with you in the same way anymore because you don't understand what I'm going through. And I feel like I'm an expert on the single girl experience. I still feel like I'm going through a single girl experience, but... I suddenly felt like things got weird. I think the problem is, is like you've only been in a relationship for two weeks, right? But the cumulated effect of that, let's call it the the boyfriend bomb, uh, is usually people, especially the husband bomb, is that's when people talk about it. You know, um, like you'll bring up an experience, uh, you know, oh, I was thinking of joining CrossFit. Oh, my husband does CrossFit. It's not the same thing as saying, oh, I also do CrossFit. Um, it's sort of it's sort of along the lines of saying, it, oh, my, my cousin does that or my, you know, nephew is interested in that. And, and to the person who's talking about their own experience, that's it's sort of weird. It's like name dropping. It's like you didn't have to bring that up. It's not that relevant. <laughs> But why did you do that? <laughs> like, it's, 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 not in the, it's not in the mindset of most people to be like, oh, my sister does that. Um, and, and, you know, on top of that, usually it's, it's and, and that invites the conversation to shift to your husband and your boyfriend. And, and for a person that just met you, like that's it's a weird personal like faux pas 
Yes. To ask about somebody's significant other, right? So it's like, oh, your boyfriend's a lawyer. How's he in bed? <laughs> like, I, and and I and knowing me, I am the, one of those per, one of those people that makes slips like that all the time. Like, oh, you want to talk about your boyfriend? How big's his dick? <laughs> you brought him up for a reason, clearly. Right? <laughs> you want to talk about your boyfriend? Well, let's talk about your boyfriend. Does he go down on you? <laughs> like, that's how I feel. I get defensive, right? It's like, oh, you want to talk about your boyfriend? Let's talk about your boyfriend. Because there was it. no reason for him to come up, except for that, like, but I think I bring up best friends in that way, or I'll quote things that my friends say. But you do. But a lot of women get trapped in being what we always, you know, you and I talk about is that Netflix couple who don't have anything else going on in their lives except their boyfriend. So, you know, they retreat. And it's like a security blanket to bring him up because it's like, well, this person finds me interesting all the time. Right. Or or it's just like, this is literally the only thing on my mind most of the time I'm not at work. And I, and we all know these people, right? It's, I'm not making this up. These people are out there. They're common. They are legion. They literally live in this world where 90% of their thoughts are preoccupied by their significant other. And those are the most exhausting people to talk to ever because you cannot penetrate their world of two no matter what it's just how they are so having to meeting those people it's just a huge social red flag it's just i like people are so codependent that talking to them is like talking to two people and one person's always absent it's like oh my boyfriend was trying to make that recipe the other day oh really Uh, tell me more I don't care like oh my boyfriend and I were watching Netflix last night oh really (laughs) tell me (laughs) like like my boyfriend's looking for a new job I'm like okay great (laughs) it's like talking about your dick it's like if, if a man were to walk around talking about his dick that's the way a lot of women sound like when they talk about their boyfriends like my dick woke itself up this morning like really good for you I always felt like it was saying Someone thinks I'm special. Someone values me. Like, I am loved. And that's how I always, always heard it. It's almost like a way to let me know that that they have that in their life. And recognizing that you don't. And I'm just going to jump in here. I actually grabbed that colleague at work today. She uh, was stopping by my cubicle, and I said, hey, wait, I have to ask you some questions. Whipped out my microphone, and we talked about it. Here's how it went. So we were walking to the subway and we were talking about spin class and how maybe we would do it together. And you were like, blah, 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 law school. And then I went, blah, 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 my boyfriend went to law school. And it's not relevant. Like, why do you need to bring up a boyfriend? Well, it's a way of establishing some kind of connection. Then I can then ask you about your boyfriend. What's he like? How'd you meet? It's a way to get you, get to know you better. But what if I, but I think women do it more often than they go, blah, 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 my nephew's thinking about law school or blah, 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 my uncle went to law school. It's like, I think the boyfriend drop is something I don't want to ever do. I think the only reason to bring up a boyfriend would be, oh, he's coming later. Well, would you be comfortable with a nephew drop? I think it would seem unnatural. It's like he's not there. He's not part of what we're doing. Whereas my reaction, and I don't know if I'm entitled to disagree with you right now, was, oh, next time Andrew and I are hanging out and maybe drinking, I should say, oh, tell me more about your boyfriend, the lawyer. I just remember, it's the boyfriend thing's very new, and I just know that, like, 
Uh, my whole radio show has been about being single and I'm obsessed with, like I think of myself as single, so it just feels really unnatural. And I feel a bond with women when we're both single because I love to talk about dating and I have every single dating app and I've been on them forever. So I don't want it to get in the way of us being friends because I just see him like one day a week. I will say, the moment you said you had a boyfriend, I was like, mm, I don't know that there's much potential for a friendship here. I think I need to defriend her on Facebook, as Dan Coyce has suggested I do with various people. Although he said not to defriend people you work with, so maybe we'll hold out. Uh, but yeah, that definitely, you know, in my estimation, you, you certainly fell. Do you feel like a new distance, though, that wasn't there before? If I had said, oh yeah, I'm on OK Keep It Too, wouldn't we have felt a closer bond? I feel a distance because we are physically far apart in the office and you have a really special little cubicle and I don't. <laughs> Tell everyone how nice my cubicle is. My listeners don't even know. It's, it's well decorated. Um, there's a really lovely, is that a box? It's like, what, how would you describe my, the host, the host of the gist, Mike Pesca gave me a, a fruit basket when I first started to tell me I was doing a good job and that contained the fruit and chocolate basket. That's nice. I haven't gotten any gifts from my bosses, although one of them is taking me out to lunch on Friday, so that's very nice. That's really nice. But I'm sorry to grab you like no, this. That's, that absolutely. It's my pleasure. I'm glad I made a bigger deal about it in my head than I really needed to. Also, I'm really into talking about law school and lawyers right now because I was not supposed to practice law in my estimation of the world. and. And now I am randomly, so talking about lawyers is super fun because I get to be kind of obnoxious about it by saying I don't identify with lawyers, but oh, by the way, I am one. So it turns out all of that was in my head. What a relief. Now let's get back to talking more with my guest, Hollywood. I, I wonder, do people in relationships bring up their boyfriends? I, I don't even know anymore. I just can't even remember a situation where... I had to bring up my boyfriend and it was a socially legitimate reason. <laughs> like, like, I, I feel like it was just like this reflex to remind the world I am desirable and valuable. <laughs> like, oh, here's a moment I can bring that up. Excellent. <laughs> Check that off my to-do list for the day. Sometimes you're around people where that's the thing that matters, though. Like with me, me and my family, my grandma, after she got out of the hospital, told me, I'm so glad you have someone. Like, this is a real thing that goes through their head where they feel happier for me or less concerned about me because they know I have this boyfriend thing. It's a real thing that's changed in my life, and I don't think I can train them out of it. What's the alternative? I mean, like, how did they react to you getting a new job? I've been asked more questions about the boyfriend than the new job. Yeah, that's what I thought. Exactly. Like, that's that's the reality that we live in. <laughs> I, I, I feel like that's a lot of pressure that we get that men maybe aren't totally aware of. I mean, I think they're aware of it on some level, but the daily constancy of it in our lives is just this whole different level. I ran everything Holly told me by my best friend, Casey. She is a long-distance best friend. She's in Kansas City. I'm here in New York. And she could see, with her intimate knowledge of my family, how this would affect me and how challenging this is going to be in the coming weeks. But when you go on family vacation, and like they're happy to talk about your personal life instead of horrified by it. Like, How do you not absorb some of that satisfaction. You're right. They were more pleased with me than ever before. Yeah. 
you're no longer, well, you'll always be like, Andrea, what's wrong with her? But now you're like, Andrea, she has some redeeming qualities. Someone decided to love her. Yeah. <laughs> Our love not love. all bad. I don't know how you can not feel like that has value to it and then, like, feel more committed to preserving it and then feel more dependent on its survival. That's the fear. I can reject getting assigned value for this, but it doesn't mean I'm not receiving it and benefiting from it. Or the moment that you're like, you get something really good happen to you professionally, and they're like, oh, that's so great. How's your boyfriend? How's he doing? Does he still have a good job? Are you guys thinking of moving in together? That is just my new reality. Yeah. As long as you don't treat me different, and I don't think of myself different, I think I can do this right. If your fun factor came down... Because you wanted to go home to him. I would totally judge you. I would totally be like, that Andrea is so into her relationship that I have lost my single friend. Maybe if I were to see you be really affected by having a boyfriend, then I think I'd have a real issue with it. But you, I don't know. You seem pretty much the same to me. Yeah. Yeah, you're not there for the day-to-day. You don't know how little I talk about it. That's true. And I also don't know how many times where I'm like, Andrea, come get drunk with me at the bar. And you're like, I can't. I'm going to go watch a movie. And that's part of my new resolve. Don't stay in and watch Netflix. How am I supposed to keep a normal amount of my own self-value hinging on this relationship if my family considers all of my value hinging on this relationship? I think you need to recognize that, you know, as you're as I told you before, your, your father says some problematic things, right? I mean, it's more systemic than just your family. I mean, this is the way a lot of American families are socialized to think and assign value to women. This is a cultural phenomenon. And I think what you're asking is how do I, as a feminist identifying woman in a heterosexual relationship, have a heterosexual relationship where I actually am an equal participant and not a passive recipient of somebody else's affection. And that's a really difficult question because you, what you're asking to do is nothing less than radical. That what you're doing, I mean, when feminists said the personal is political, this is exactly what they meant. Explain that to me some more. So, you know, when Betty Friedan wrote The Feminist Mystique, you know, The Problem That Has No Name, the thing is, is she made the personal so political. She says, I'm cleaning up people's vomit and washing floors and being a mother is not that fulfilling. And she expressed her emotions and she's like, I don't know what to do except make you feel my emotions and put them on the page so everyone else can recognize them. And that's why I always come on the show and say what you're doing is a radical feminist act in that you're exploring emotional interiority And you're saying, this is what emotions feel like when you're trying to do the right thing as a feminist and still have a heterosexual relationship. How do you do it? How do you balance both of those things? Because they seem to contradict each other. And a lot of feminists believe that you can't even be a feminist if you are in a heterosexual relationship because you're sleeping with the enemy. There are definitely some threads of feminism that believe that. And you and I are on this other coin that, you know, we're attracted to men we are very, we're deeply heterosexual in the sense of our sexual identity is tied to men. And we need to somehow come up with a way to love and let love into our lives in a way that is respectful of who we are as people and our achievements and our accomplishments as women and our autonomy of self. 
but also respects the fact that we would be redefining heterosexuality by doing that. And I mean, it's not a, a, a thing that I can write a self-help book about. And like, here are my 10 tips on how to have a more feminist friendly relationship. Um, it's more complex than that. We're conditioned to approach relationships from the way your, your, your family is and the way that a lot of American families do which is to say women don't have value until they're assigned value by the commitment of a man. And I think we live in secret fear of that being true. And like, am I worthless until some man puts a ring on it? I don't think so. I didn't go to college, grad school, and, and you know read all those books to not have any value. But it, it's still a fear. It's still a huge fear. And I think it's something that with a lot of communication and a lot of discussion, it's something that you can work through with your partner and with your friends and your community of like-minded peers to you know, redefine what heterosexual relationships are supposed to look like for us. Because we can't look to our parents and we can't look to what they assign value to and what they think is significant. Our generation's relationships are gonna be a lot different in character because we're gonna have a lot more power in shaping them. After the radio broadcast on WFMU, I got a voicemail from my grandma. Hi, I heard most of the show, um, and uh, I don't know, I, uh, I'm having an interesting reaction, and uh, I'm actually embarrassed at the ending, but uh, I guess I brought that on myself. We talked for a long time about where I'm coming from, where Holly's coming from, and she understood in the end. We both want the same thing. We both want the other to be happy. And the way that I get there is by over-intellectualizing every little thing. You've been listening to Y.O.Y. from WFMU. That's it for today's podcast. Thanks for listening.